Reading of God's Word. We'll be reading from Matthew chapter 13, verses 47 through 58. Oh. It should be Matthew. That's right. That's wrong. Oh. That's wrong. I didn't update it properly. Yes, it is correct. Matthew 13, verses 47 through 58. Matthew chapter 13 verses 47 through 58. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world, the angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said unto them, Have ye understood all these things? They said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then said he unto them, Therefore, every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is an householder, which bringeth forth out of his treasures things new and old. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. And when he was come un into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence has this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then has this man all these things? And they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. And he did not, and he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Amen. Please and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, the passage that was read, chapter 13. Sorry, I forgot to put my, <laughs> first time I forgot this in a while, but every once in a while, you know, I forget things. So how was, how'd you do in the storm? Wasn't that fun? That was some storm. We had a lot of rain out by Kennedy Airport. Did you hear that? Most ever amount of rain in one day. And I live right by Kennedy Airport. So it was just raining and raining. And I know some of you Pastor Carmine, I know, got water backed up into his basement in Brooklyn. I heard that that was an issue in Brooklyn. The sewer lines just overwhelmed and the water coming in to the basement through the sewers. Well, I was just getting it from above and from the sides, and it was just coming into our house faster than we could, uh, faster than the sump pump could, t could pump it out. The sump pump was just constantly. Actually, when it first started, I, I heard some kind of strange noise down there, and I went down, and, and there's PVC pipe that is kind of connected to, uh, the, that connects the sump pump into the, to the line that then goes out the sewer, and that, that separated. So water was just like spraying everywhere. So I had to unplug the, the sump pump. I was like, I hope I don't get electrocuted, but I didn't. And I unplugged it, and then I'm like, I got to somehow reattach this, and I didn't know if I was doing it right, but I... You know, I was like shaking. And, you know, I told Debbie was standing there. I'm kind of nervous right now because the rain was coming and the water's rising. And if I don't get this sump pump going, I mean, we're really in a bad way. So, but thankfully, I was able to reattach it and the, the sump pump worked fine. And it worked nearly constantly. And then we started bailing water out because we couldn't, the sump pump couldn't keep up with it. But we did have one um, death in our home. It was the water heater because the water just rose too fast and too high and it sunk our water heater. But thankfully, we were able to get a new one yesterday. So that was some storm. Hope I don't have another one. I'll be buying a lot of water heaters if we do. So, all right. Matthew chapter 13. And we're going to read just to review the scripture that was read. We're going to, I would like to read once again, beginning at verse number 47. And the message today is on this parable of the dragnet. And 
I've never preached on this before. I've never preached this parable before. You know why? Because it, the theme of it is repeated almost word for word in the parable of the tares and the wheat. So, and we'll see that. So I never preached it before, but then I, I said, you know what? Jesus repeated himself. So if I end up repeating myself in this message, then I'll just be like Jesus and repeat myself because Jesus repeated himself in this parable. And the reason he repeated himself is because it's very important. It's the end of the world. He's talking about the end of the world. And Matthew's gospel focuses us on the end of the world. Remember, the disciples asked Jesus, what is the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? You know, Matthew's gospel is going to end with this very phrase that we see in our text here in Matthew chapter 13 and verse number 49, the end of the world. Matthew's gospel ends. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Make disciples of all nations, teaching them all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. That's the last statement in the, go the, Matthew, uh, the Gospel of Matthew. The end of the world is in view, and it's coming. We have to be ready for it. Matthew chapter 13, verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into the vessels, but cast the bad away. And please read verse 49 and 50 with me. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. And there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. So, Lord, we do take your word in like a child today. And just the way a child will believe their parents for many things and all things, Lord, we trust you for everything. Our parents might lie to us in this life, but, Lord, we know that you are truth, a God of truth, and without iniquity, just and right are you in all your ways. And so, Lord, we know that you will never lie to us and what you say is exactly true. Help us to take it and believe it and live according to it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the message is taken right from the text, the end of the world in that verse number 49. I cannot improve the words of Jesus for this sermon title, the end of the world. And that phrase itself challenges me to what? To fear God. And when I think about the fear of God, I fear we don't fear Him enough, including myself. So we need to fear God as we consider this subject of the end of the world. But I also thought this message a good opportunity to just kind of do a quick review and summary of where we've been and what we've talked about in this incredible chapter 13 of Matthew. And Jesus teaches us that parables, the purpose of the parables was threefold, to reveal to conceal and to fulfill. So parables reveal the secrets of God's kingdom to those who are hungry for truth, for those who are inquisitive in their hearts to know the king and his kingdom. The parables reveal. But at the same time, the parables will conceal that truth from those who are hardened, from just the religionists, there were many hateful to Jesus, even at this point in the previous chapter, remember, we talked about this, is that this is where Jesus talked about those who had committed the unpardonable sin in saying that his works were being done by the devil himself. And so there was tremendous opposition to Jesus Christ at this time in his ministry. And so he begins speaking almost exclusively in parables. And parables fulfill. They fulfilled what the prophets said regarding how the Messiah would teach. And there are a number of verses for that. Isaiah 6, verses 9 and 10. Psalm 78, verse 2. 
So this is the purpose of parables, to reveal, conceal, and fulfill. But there are, so far, in Matthew chapter 13, we've dealt with six parables. Today is the seventh. There's still one more. There are eight parables in all in Matthew chapter 13. We've looked at each of them. And just so think back now, because each of these parables are on the kingdom of God. Jesus is the king of this kingdom. At the end of the world, the kingdom of God will come into full fruition. We are preparing now for the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God in some sense is now, but yet it's not yet. We pray, thy kingdom come. But we've looked at these parables and we said that the parable of the sower in the field, that the word of God is the word of the kingdom. And the word of God meets resistance in this world. Satan plucks the word out of people's hearts. People often have hard hearts, shallow hearts, and then allow their hearts to become so filled with competing loyalties and distractions. The sower in the field tells the word of the kingdom. The parable of the tares in the field, the tares in the wheat. What does that tell us? That emphasizes that there is right now in the world a present mixture. There's a mixture of good and bad in the world. And we live with that good and bad. We have to be a child of God in the midst of the world where there's evil all around us. And that's why we need the Word of God as we live in this world filled with tares. And then that parable did say at the end of a long coexistence between good and bad, between the wicked and the saved, under the sovereignty of God that will be separated, the tares and the wheat. And then we talked about these next two parables. And here's the point as well. I want us to see that each of these parables kind of come in pairs. They come in pairs. The sower in the field, the tares and the wheat, both have the, a theme of, of seed. And then these next two parables are put right together and they have the, the theme of growth. The parable of the mustard seed and the leaven tell of the growth of the kingdom. The mustard seed, the outward growth. The leaven, the inward growth. And we looked at that. And then last time we took, looked at the pearl of great price and the, the treasure hid in the field. And they're, they're together as well. And they have a similar theme of the incomparable king and his kingdom. Yet there's differences, and we talked about that last week. So, so far we've dealt with six parables in this chapter. Each one comes in a pair. But today we're going to look at the seventh parable, and next time we'll look at the eighth. But I thought it was so interesting that the seventh parable puts an emphasis on only one thing, the end of the world. And you know what the number seven is. Seven is what? The number of completion. And so this parable tells us about the completion of the world. The consummation is another word we can use to talk about the end of the world. The consummation of all things. The end of this age. By the way, the world there, it says the end of the world. It's not the cosmos. It's not the physical world. It's the age in which we are presently living before the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ. So I thought that was so interesting that this number, the seventh parable of this chapter, speaking of that number of completion or perfection, speaks of the completion of this age in which we're living. So what are parables? And what do they do? Parables put truth to experience. Jesus taught parables so we could see the truth. So we could experience it with our eyes and maybe even through a life experience. And there's no doubt that this parable, and he uses a very specific word, we will see, a net, which was a drag net, and we're going to talk about that. The disciples will be able to picture exactly what Jesus was talking about. So parables put truth to experience. You know what the greatest experience we're ever going to have in this life is going to be? Perhaps, you know, we're going to be in heaven for all eternity. What an experience that's going to be. But between this life 
and then eternity, we're going to have a day where we're going to stand before God. And he's going to divide the good from the bad. In the world, in the church, it doesn't matter what member of a church you're in at that moment. It only matters if you're in Jesus Christ. This, is, this could well be talking about the most important day that we all have in all of eternity. The end of the world. And that's why Jesus puts the emphasis on this theme in this particular parable in such a way that the disciples will be able to catch it more than any other metaphor. Because what's the metaphor he uses? He uses the metaphor of... Fishing, and what were most of the disciples? Not all of them, but some of them. They were fishermen. And they, they all lived by the Sea of Galilee. They were so familiar with this metaphor. It's the only time Jesus uses the metaphor of fishing in a parable. That was, I thought that was pretty amazing, considering all the parables he taught. He never used fishing, and... I, you can correct me if I'm wrong on that. Go ahead, I challenge you. I looked at, I tried to look at every parable. I went, scanned them through. Couldn't find one other parable that had fishing as its main metaphor. So, one of the methods of fishing on the Sea of Galilee would be with a dragnet. And the word that Jesus uses here is very specific in verse 47. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind. So in the, in the New Testament, did you know there are actually three different words for net? One is a, a general term for a, a net. You could use it for hunting or fishing. That's not the word here. Another word is a word almost like this kind of net, a, if you will, a, a casting net that you would cast into the sea. This, that's used twice in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, when Jesus met the disciples. So there's a casting net. But this word he uses is the only time this word appears in the New Testament. And it's specifically a dragnet. I'm not talking about the TV show. I googled dragnet and I got all these, you know, got this TV show. with. Uh, I used to watch that show when I was a kid. I know I'm old. Okay. Now, a dragnet was about two meters in height. It could be up to about 100 meters long. The top of the net would be held up by cork, and then the bottom of the net was weighted. So the fishermen would fasten one end of the net. Now, there are different ways they could do it. This picture, they're both on shore. They would get the, put the net out there, and then they would dra drag the net in. But they could also have the dragnet out onto deeper sea. In other words, have one boat on one side and one boat on the other. Or they could have the boat take the net out and, and cast it around. And perhaps why, that's why this boat is over here. This boat has brought the net out and now it's, it's back onto the shore and now they're bringing it in. That's a dragnet. It's a very vivid picture to the disciples. As Jesus gives this parable, they were able to picture exactly everything Jesus was telling them about. And here's the thing. They were then able to think about their daily life's work in the light of eternity. Think of that. They were able, they, they could never get this out of their mind again as long as they were dragging the net and, and catching fish in this fashion. They would think that this is what God will do in the end of the world on that great day and gather all the fish and then separate the good fish from the bad. So Jesus' word would make a specific connection with their daily experience. So I want to challenge you. How does your daily experience of work connect to eternity? Find that connection yourself. Think up your own parable where... So just think about that. As the disciples were fishing, they were thinking, oh, wow, remember Jesus taught us about the dragnet, and this is what God is going to do. So they would 
they would connect eternity to their daily grind. And it made their daily grind perhaps more meaningful. And so this is the parable here of the dragnet. Jesus' word would forever connect with their daily grind to the ultimate day, the end of the world, the day of the end of the world. And the big idea of this parable is it shows the future judgment and consummation of all things. And it shows the future separation of the saved from the lost. As Jesus said, if you look again at the text, so shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth. They shall sever the wicked from the just. Sever means to separate. And then they will gather the wicked in their place and they will be cast into hell and the just would go into heaven. So that's the big idea of this parable, and that's a big idea. <laughs> this is a big day. The future separation of the saved from the lost. Jesus said, so shall it be at the end of the world. So let's just look at this concept, this teaching of the end of the world. And the first thing I want to say about this is the end of the world is worth repeating. Because I already mentioned this, but if you look at the the theme and the teaching of this parable, it's no different at all from the conclusion Jesus makes in his teaching on the parable of the tares in the field. And I want to compare these two passages. So open up your Bible, please. And again, look at verses 49 and 50 in our text. And he says again, verse 49, So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from the just and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Okay, so now go up to verse number 39, please. Verse 39. And there in the middle of that verse, Jesus says the harvest, and here is his metaphor was of a harvest, and he says the harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. So the reapers in both parables are, are what? Angels, the end of the world is mentioned specifically, that specific phrase is mentioned in both parables as well. And then he says, the Son of Man shall send forth his angels, they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them that do iniquity. And so that's very similar to where the angels will come forth and separate the wicked from the just. And so here he says, they will separate those who offend and them that do iniquity, and then he says, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. So that very phrase is also used in this parable of the dragnet, a furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. That very expression, again, is repeated from verse 42 down to verse number 50. So we're talking about a subject that's so big, Jesus repeats himself. But here's, here's the thing. Both of these parables, the parable of the tares and the wheat, when he gave this interpretation that we just read, and this parable that he gives now in verse number 47 on the parable of the dragnet, who is he speaking to? He's only speaking to his disciples in a room. So in other words, Jesus told his disciples Right here, in two separate occasions, boom, boom, right after another, that there's going to be a great separation. And the saved are going to be separated from the lost, the wicked from the good, the bad from the good. And the bad will be cast into this lake of fire. And the good will... It doesn't even say about the good in the parable of the dragnet, but in the parable of the tares, he talked about the good shining... But the point is, he's talking to disciples here and telling them about this great day. So there's something about this that even we as Christians, even if, if there's an unsafe person here today, I pray they'll hear this and be saved. But, but don't think, oh, I'm already saved. This isn't for me. It's for all of us. Jesus told his disciples this parable. It's worth repeating. And the reality is, Jesus repeats himself. And it's, in a sense, this truth of this repetition that makes this parable unique. Because 
I don't know any other parable. He takes almost word for word and, and puts it onto another parable, especially not in this chapter, in Matthew chapter 13, definitely. Every good teacher uses repetition as a teaching tool. Repetition, they say, is the mother of learning. So Jesus is pressing home this ultimate truth of the, the day of the Lord, the final day, this coming day, the end of the world day. And he's using an entirely different metaphor to do it. He moves from the agriculture and the harvest of tares and wheat. He moves to the, to the Sea of Galilee and, the, and the, the casting of a net and the good and the bad fish. He's using an entirely different metaphor to press home the same truth. One commentary I had said, if you try to search for something different as far as an application between the parable of the dragnet and the parable of the tares and the wheat... He says, it will be unrewarding. Almost every truth that's in the parable of the dragnet is repeated from the previous parable of the tares in the field. So this repetition is so obvious, it's so stark. Jesus wants us to get it. And we must be absolutely certain that there is coming the end of the world. <laughs> And you know why we need to be certain of that? Because nobody's ever seen it. <laughs> Who's seen the end of the world like that? Nobody. It hasn't happened yet. This is prophecy. And so when you haven't seen it, what's, what's our attitude? Hey, man, if I ain't seen it, I'm not going to believe it. That's the attitude of many people. But nobody's seen the end of the world. But Jesus Christ is the truth. And God the Father sent His Son to, to speak the truth. So this, this is absolute truth. That the end of the world is coming and it is a reality we have not faced it is a reality that no one has even seen and so therefore jesus repeats it so that we'll truly know it's coming and the book of matthew ends what we should be doing until the end of the world the end of this age is upon us think of that two thousand years since christ we can't be too far away so this repetition is also so interesting if you think about so many teachings of Jesus and he repeats, you know, here it's the good fish and the bad fish, but he repeats this all over and over again. He repeats it in this chapter with the metaphor of the wheat and the tares. There's wheat and there's tares. And then later on, we're going to look at this chapter of of the, the judgment of the nations in Matthew 25. And Jesus separated who? The sheep from the, the goats. And he, he gave the other parable of the virgins. And there were, what kind of virgins? There were the wise and the foolish. So there's always this separation, a dual separation. The wise and the foolish virgins. virgins. He told another parable of the faithful servants and the unfaithful servants. A dualness. And, and on and on we could go with this. Jesus talked about different roads. He says there's a narrow road to heaven and there's the what kind of road? There's a broad road. Jesus told the parable of the lost things. And in each parable it was the lost sheep. They were, the sheep were either what? Lost or found. And the, the, parable, uh, the same parable of the coin. There was ten coins and some, one got lost. And the others had not. So, and, and the lost was found. And the, and the parable of the, 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 the prodigal son. And that parable of lost things. And then other metaphors in the Bible. There's always this duality. There's light. And there's what? You're either in the light or you're where? You're in, and there's no shade. Jesus says if you're in the shade, you're, you're, you're okay. No, there's no shade. You're either in the light or you're in the darkness. There's always that duality. You're saved or you are, you're lost. You're blind or you see. You either have on the wedding garment or you don't. I mean, th that's it. So this is so important. And it's worth repeating in all these different ways that Jesus repeats it. And so this is of singular importance. The second thing, the end of the world is of singular importance. The point here is that, again, in the parable of the tares in the field, there was probably another theme in that parable that was bigger than just the end. It was, we said that that parable was a worldview parable. It, you could shape your whole worldview based on that parable of the tares in the field. 
But when he comes to the parable of Dragnet, he takes that one point of the end of the world and he just takes that singular theme and drives it home. So it's of singular importance. There is a singular emphasis upon the end of the world. It's a day of judgment. You know what the Greek word for judgment is, by the way? And it, we can miss it because even the way it's spelled in our, in our um, Greek testaments when they transliterate it, they spell it with a K. But you know what the word is for judgment? Crisis. With a K. But crisis. So we get our word, I'm in a crisis, <laughs> from this word judgment. And Montgomery Boyce says, a crisis is something that confronts you with a choice. And you must respond by going in one direction or another. And the ultimate crisis of life is the day we stand before God. Are you ready for that day? That's what this life is all about ultimately. The bottom line is, we need to be ready for the end of the world when we stand before God. Because there's coming a day of irreversible decisiveness, of absolute separation between the saved and the lost, and we must take this day into our heart and live today knowing we're going to have this coming day upon us. It's coming upon us. And we need to think about it, and we need to prepare for this great coming day. So again, Jesus spoke a parable to, his, to the disciples so that they would think about the end of the world and the day of their judgment, and that they would apply this and they would think about it while they're working <laughs> as fishermen. It's of singular importance. It's worth repeating. And thirdly, this day is permanent. Because if you look at this text, it says, they gathered the good into vessels, they were saved, but cast the bad away. And then it says, they will cast that bad into the furnace of fire. That's permanent. In other words, there won't be a second chance. This parable and the parable of the tares and these other times when Jesus spoke about heaven and hell, there's a permanency here. So that this, the end of the world is not a day of a second chance. It's not a day of universal salvation. It's a day of universal judgment where it has been established at that moment whether you are saved or lost. You cannot wait until you're standing before God and say, oh wait, I changed my mind. There's no mind changing at this moment. You're before God with your life behind you. And your faith, or lack thereof, shining. And who you and I are will come forth as we stand before God. And he will look upon us with eyes that are a flame of fire. Jesus, the judge of all. And it is not the church that's going to make this decision. It is not the pastor or the priest or the pope. It is no man is going to make this decision. It says in both of these parables, it's angels, and angels are doing the servants, the service of God alone. And Jesus is the one who separates the sheep from the goats. If you go even, go look in Matthew chapter 25 for just a moment. Let's go there for a, a moment. Matthew chapter 25. And... I remember preaching on hell in the radio one time. Some guy called me up. He said, you're just trying to scare people. You know, I'm not trying to scare anybody. God's trying to scare you. Because this is the truth. If I came up with my own ideas and put forth my own doctrines to, to, to try to manipulate your emotions, that you could say, I'm trying to scare you. But I didn't think about hell. I didn't think about this day of judgment. This is not my idea. I'm preaching it from the Bible. And so, I'm not here to scare you, but God does want to scare us into fearing Him in a holy way of love because He loves us. 
Dr. Bob III, he used to say that, I can't quote him exactly, I should be able to quote him because he used to say it all. Remember what he used to say? What did he say? Thank you so much. My wife could say it just like Kristen. These ladies, they, they remember that. The most sobering reality in the world is that people are dying and going to hell today. We should think about that. So look at Matthew chapter 25 and look at verse 31, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory, the holy angels with him. So here we have the angels again. Then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. Before him shall be gathered all the nations. And he, this is Jesus, shall separate them, one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep <coughs> from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. And the king... Then shall the king say unto them on the right hand. Read it with me in verse 34. What does it say? Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So he calls them, come, ye blessed. He commands them, come, ye blessed. And he calls them in verse 37. He calls these blessed ones who were saved. He calls them the righteous. In other words, they were righteous in his sight. They have been justified by faith. And then he calls them down in verse number 40. He calls his saved, my brethren. So the saved are blessed, they're righteous, and they're his brothers. But notice what he says to the unsaved in verse 41. If you will, the goats in this parable. Verse 41. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand. Are you with me in verse 41? Can you read it please with me? It says, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. This is Jesus talking. So he either says to you, he'll either say to you and to me, Come, ye blessed, or depart, ye cursed. I pray that we'll all hear this message and know for sure that will hear those words, come ye blessed. Yes, Lord, please. So the point again is, not only is there no second chance, but there's no third way. And I, I read through all those different points before, the broad road and the narrow road and light and darkness. There's, no, there's never a third way. Think of that. There's sheep, there's goats, there's the good and the bad fish. There's not a fish that was like, well, maybe this one will be okay. Let me set it aside in a third stack. <laughs> no, there's no third stack of fish. There's no third kind of grain. It was the wheat or it was the tares. What is that saying? You're either in or you're out. You're either on your way to heaven or you're on your way to hell. That's, that's it. That's the bottom line. There is no third way. You're, it's either yes or no. You're either in Christ or out of Christ. There's no fence. People are like, well, I'm not sure I'm on the fence. No, you're, that means you're out. You're lost if you're on the fence. Get, there's no fence. When you stand before God, you can't say, well, I'm, I'm deciding. I haven't decided yet. I'm on the fence. No. If you haven't decided, you're on the broad path. And you're lost. You need to be saved. I wish I could preach this with like so many tears that you would, you would know the sincerity of my heart, but the truth of God's word. Now many hope for a place called purgatory, which is a third place, but it doesn't exist. The Roman Catholic Church tells us that in purgatory there's a fire of redemptive suffering, or it's a place of purification of temporary punishment, but they never tell you how long that temporary punishment is. They will just keep taking your money to say masses for loved ones as long as you're willing to give them your money for them to do their masses. They, they, can you imagine? Somebody comes, oh, I want you to say a mass for my mother. You know, she was a Catholic, and she's in, you tell me she's in purgatory. And I remember when I, my, I went to my grandmother's funeral, and you know the little plastic cards you get at funerals? It said on my grandmother's card at the Catholic Church, please quench the fires of purgatory 
upon her soul. And I'm like, that's the best this church can promise? Hell? Fire? Very sad. There's no third place. In Scripture, there is no purgatory. It is a doctrine of man. It was really originally popularized by Augustine in about 400 A.D., and then another so-called pope called Gregory the Great came along and really strengthened that doctrine. So today, purgatory is set Catholic doctrine. But I love what Spurgeon said about purgatory. Spurgeon said purgatory is an invention of the Pope for the filling of his cellar, the cellar, the basement, and his larder. I had to look up that word larder, I confess. I'm like, what is a larder? It's a storeroom. So Spurgeon's saying that the Catholic Church has invented this doctrine in order to enrich itself, to fill up their storerooms, and to build their buildings, their massive structures through all their indulgences and all the things that they have, they have sold the forgiveness of sins to people, and people have bought the forgiveness of sins from the Catholic Church. And Spurgeon said that the early reformers called purgatory the purgatory pick purse doctrine of the Catholic Church. Purgatory pick purse was the name the first reformers. You, you, you understand that? In other words, when you go to Times Square and if you, you, you have like a visitor going to visit you and they're going to go to Times Square, what do you always tell them? Don't put your wallet in, the ba in your back pocket. Keep it in your front pocket. Why? Because of pickpockets, okay? So pick purse is just another term. It's an older English term for a pickpocket, a spiritual pickpocket. And the New Testament uses this phrase of how spiritual false prophets, false prophets manipulate people in order to make merchandise of their souls, in order to twist and twist the money out of people. And purgatory, more than any other doctrine, has been used by the Catholic Church to just twist people, manipulate their soul, make merchandise of their soul, in order that they could buy heaven for themselves or for their loved ones. And lastly, this day will be an awful day for the lost. And again, I find it amazing, if you go back to Matthew chapter 13, that in this parable of the dragnet, Jesus says nothing of the righteous. He says just that the good... He says the good he puts into vessels and then the bad are cast away. That's in the, the fishing metaphor, but then in the, the interpretation or in the, the spiritual aspect of this parable, the spiritual truth, he never goes back to the righteous. It's just the unsaved. And he says that the, the wicked will be divided, severed from the just, and then they will be cast into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. So just think of that. Think of these words of Jesus. These are Jesus' words. What does he say hell is? A furnace of fire. Now, and I've made this point, and it's so true. In the parables, he's only talking about real things. Like he was talking about real fishing, real nets, real fish were caught. That was the, that was the earthly truth. But then in the spiritual application... It's real things. It's, he's not just talking metaphorically about hell. He's talking about what hell really is. And it's a furnace of fire. And I know a lot of smart people are so offended by this. But this is where we need the heart of a child. I used to believe when my parents told me about the Easter Bunny, and that was a lie. But I believed it. And Santa Claus too, I confess. That was a lie. But this is not a lie. This is our God telling us. And if I could believe my parents, I could believe God. The witness of God is greater than the witness of man. And then he says, it's a furnace of fire. And I don't take the fire out of hell because Jesus Christ said it's a place of fire. How can I soften what Jesus Christ has said is that? 
I cannot soften that. And he says it's a place of wailing, weeping. And notice the verses. He didn't just say it one time. Look at all those verses. I have them right here. Matthew 8, 12. A place of outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. 13.42, wailing and gnashing of teeth, a furnace of fire. 13.50, a furnace of fire, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. 22.13, cast them into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 24.51, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There it is, repeated over and over. Weeping is an eternal sorrow. Do you want to be in a place like that? Eternally weeping and sorrowing and gnashing your teeth. I don't fully understand what that is, but it's some form of anguish and anger and unrepentant regret and remorse, bitterness and pain and misery. It's like you're in such agony, you're just gnashing your teeth. So what? <laughs> so what? What we need to do is go into all the world and preach the gospel. Because the end of the world, he said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things. That's what we're to be doing. Until the end of the world. He's with us. Beautiful song sang today fits right in with that. He's with us always. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us to the end of the world. So let's cast the net. Cast the net. And some people might say they believe, but then God will separate it all at the end. But cast the net. Cast the net. Share the gospel. Pray for your loved ones. Let's not stop casting the net. And try to bring souls to Jesus as he told the apostles. From henceforth you will be fishers of men. Be a fisher of men. Cast that net. And if you're here and not saved, I say, repent. Change your mind. If I've said something today, you say, that's not true. What the Bible says is wrong. I say repent. And I mean by that, change your mind. If what the Bible says, if I've said something that what the Bible says, it's true. I guarantee you it is. Because thy word is truth. So let us believe it. Dear friend, if you're not saved today, you must be born again. Don't put your salvation off because you don't know how much time you have. Let us stand together as we pray. just a moment we're going to sing our invitation song and the song is not going to be on the screen it's only in the bulletin so if you could turn to page number eight in your bulletin God's final call let's pray together father in heaven we thank you for your love this is a hard message Lord and I do not know fully how to preach on this subject of hell. So Lord, forgive me if I've not put it forth in the best way and with a broken heart. I feel like I should just sit down and weep. But Lord, we thank you that the saved, as you said earlier in this chapter, will shine forth as the sun. And when we see Jesus, we will shine like Jesus because he will shine like the sun in all of his strength and there will not be any need for the sun in heaven because the Son of God will be the light of heaven and we will shine as the sun itself. We will shine, as Daniel says, like the stars. So, Lord, thank you for this great hope we have as your people. 
But Lord, not everyone has this hope, and we should care deeply for the lost. If you're here today as a child of God, let us all cast that net. Let us not be cold-hearted to the lost. Let us not think that they're beyond any hope or help. It's not for us to decide. It's for us to preach the gospel to every creature. Some of us have been saved a long time, and how long has it been since you shared or even passed out a gospel tract? When was the last time you passed out a gospel tract to someone? When was the last time you let somebody else know in your neighborhood, your community, your family, your work, that you're a Christian and you want them to be saved as well and you're there to talk to them or offer encouragement? The end of the world is coming, dear friend. And this is our job, to cast that net. Fisher of men, preach the gospel. How many would say, Pastor Matt, pray that I will be faithful to cast that net and seek to tell others of Christ by His grace and with His power of the Holy Spirit in me. Can I see your hand? Just put it up to the Lord and just ask the Lord to fill you with His Holy Spirit. Ask the Lord to fill you because we need, we cannot do this without the Holy Spirit leading us, guiding us, putting words in our mouth. Lord, use us, fill us, dear God, to cast that net. Thank you. You may put your hands down. How many would say, Pastor Matt, I'm not saved. But today, I realize I need to get ready for this day the world ends and the Lord is going to separate the saved from the lost and I realize I'm lost and I need to be saved. Is there anyone like that who'd say, Pastor Matt, pray for me? Is there anyone? How many would say, I know I'm lost, but I'm just not ready to be saved? So Lord, you do your work glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen.